This is a LibriVox recording of Mr. Wicker's Window. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or on how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Arthur Piantadosi, Los Angeles, California, February 14th, 2010. Chapter 12 of Mr. Wicker's Window. The time had come when Chris could go out beyond the confines of Mr. Wicker's gardens. It was a bright fall day when Amos and he stepped out the kitchen door. Becky Boozer's huge frame blocked it behind them as she stood in the sun to see them off. Each boy had been given meat and bread, some cakes and apples for their midday meal, and Chris stood looking up and down the street for a moment before starting, savoring the promise of new sights and new adventure. The only drawback was that Amos would not, and must not, know why Chris might be surprised at certain places. Georgetown in the year 1750 might be new for Amos, but not nearly as new as it would be for Chris. Where are we going in the first place? Amos asked. Chris had long ago decided. We'll take a look at the Mirabelle, he said. While looking about him, Chris glanced more than once at Amos. The colored boy's brilliant foreign costume was very noticeable, his friend thought. But when no one paid attention, Chris decided Amos's clothes were not unfamiliar to the seafaring men among whom they were walking. A ship had just come in, the sailors browned and cheerful at being once more in their home port. Merchants in coats of fine but saw over cloth was talking with the captain and mate, while they kept an eye on the cargo being laboriously uploaded by stevedores. For some time, Chris and Amos stood watching the men carrying out bales or kegs on their shoulders. When one part of the cargo had been assembled on the dock, an auction was held forthwith to sell it off at once to the highest bidder. Listening and looking, Chris saw bolts of silk, hardware, china, wines and liquors, needles and pins, all manner of things, auctioned and sold. The ship, American-owned, had come from England, and Chris overheard one man say to another, See there, the thin man, that must be Mr. Mason's agent. I hear he's here to buy the ballast bricks for his master's plantation on the island. Chris, not understanding, asked, Ballast bricks? Please, sir, uh, what's that? The man, an astonished to be interrupted by a boy, and looked down to see two, each with an apple in his hand, turned around and, after a moment's scrutiny, answered, Ballast bricks? Why, anyone knows that these are the bricks brought over the hold, my lad. Shall there not be sufficient cargo, both to make ballast for the vessel and to sell once here? English bricks are cheaper than those we can make ourselves. Do you not know, young man, he said, frowning with disapproval, that our bricks for building houses have all come from British kilns? No, sir, thank you, sir, Smith said, and moved away, not in the least abashed. How I should have loved to told him I didn't belong in this age anyway, and then in my time we do make our own bricks, he chuckled to himself. <laughs> Further on, a ship being painted to dazzling white caught their eyes. The Mirabelle, Chris cried, running forward, and sure enough, black and gold letters along her prow pronounced that indeed it was the Mirabelle. I know those lines anywhere, Chris said to Amos, and the two boys stood gazing at Mr. Wicker's ship. The Mirabelle was a three-masted schooner of more than usually trim lines. Even at the dockside, the curve of her bow gave an instant vision of how the waves would curl back as she drove forward over the sea. 
At the waterline, a clear light green contrasted well with the weight of her sides. Above decks, the size of the masts and nearly full sails showed at a glance that the Mirabelle was hardy enough to weather many a storm, and also that her crew was able and well-trained. Looking about, Chris soon spied Ned Silling on deck lounging against the side of the ship and smoking his pipe. Master Silly's eyes lit up as he saw his friends and hurried down the gangplank, shook them by the hand as warmly as if he'd not seen them for a month instead of just the night before, when he had shared with them what Becky termed a taste, a mere spoonful of supper. Eh, well, looky here, he exclaimed, delighted. Chris and Amos buy me soul. Ned Silly bummed at them and leaned back on his heels for a better view. Looking about, lads. Eh, that's a wee. Is she not the finest ship that ever you did rest your eyes on? The boys were agreeing enthusiastically when a remarkable couple came into sight, pacing the decks of the Mirabelle. Soon the watchers were given a better look, for the two men came down the gangplank to examine cases that had been brought to the dock for loading, and Chris and Amos were hard put to it not to laugh out loud at the comical pair. The first man was so round and so short he appeared to have no legs at all. Below a tight round paunch, two small feet looking rather like mice, went in and out as he walked. The roundness of his face was underlined by three folds of chin, but his small nursing blue eyes had a way of suddenly opening wide that made Frears feel the man was no fool. He constantly burbled with laughter, and was in a high good humor, occasional remarks from his companion, causing him now and then to chuckle with amusement. <laughs> what the other man could be saying that was so entertaining, Chris could not imagine, for he was the opposite of the fat, good-humored one. This second person was twice again as tall as a plump little fellow beside him, and was as dour and thin as the other was cheery and fat. He seemed in a state of perpetual depression, and no amount of chuckles on the part of the plump gentleman could cause even a passing smile over the long, sad face of the dour man. "'Who in the world are they?' Chris asked of Siley as they drew near. Chris only looked at scandalized at Chris's impertinence in finding them in any way droll. "'Them? Why, bless my cap and buttons! Oh, there's the captain of the Mirabelle, no less. And his first mate!' Captain Ezekiel Blizzard he is, and Mr. Elisha Finney, Ned Siley told them, watching the earnest conversation of the pair with evident affection. Blizzard and Finney, that's them, he said. And a better captain and first mate is not come by in the whole land. I shall warrant you. He may look too plump for his own good, Mr. Siley went on, lowering his voice and bending down to, uh, on a level with Chris and Amos. But believe me, there's no sounder captain afloat. They all know it hereabouts, for Ezekiel Blizzard knows that Cheney sees but the sight of his own feet. Make no mistake about it. Asmir Malaysia Fini is glum. I don't deny, but faithful. That's true of the two of them. Whatever they can do for Mr. Wicker is law for Ezekiel Blizzard and Elisha Finney. They swear by Mr. Wicker, so they do. Ned said, aching his head to the certainty of it. Mr. Finney's kind, too, Ned went on, though I don't look it, bless me cap and boots. He's tender-hearted as a bird under that gloom, is Finney. Could we go aboard the, under the ship? Chris asked when the captain and Mr. Finney had moved off to the far end of the wharf. No, me lad, he answered gravely. Tis better not. Wait till the master do present you proper to the captain, for the Mirabelle is Captain Blizzard's castle lick. I would sooner ye were asked aboard by him. 
Then, seeing Chris's crestfallen face, Sally clapped him so hardly on the back that the boy staggered forward a pace or two. Come, though, cheer up! Ned cried. Come, meet some of the crew! He invited, and taking Chris's and Amos's arms, drew them towards a group of seamen. Chris looked quickly around at the faces of the men, for these he strictly knew were to be his companions on a long sea voyage soon to start. With a deep sense of relief, he found that he liked them all. All, perhaps, but one. Then he gave his attention to Ned Silly, with a flourish was making introductions. Me lads, he cried, you're two likely young uns living in the house of Mr. Wicker. You've heard me speak of them. Amos here, on me right, and Chris, that's me on me other side. He beamed at both and on the men confronting him. No boys, he roared. This good man here is Bowie. The short, muscular, low-legged man with a friendly grin nodded his head at them and cut off a piece of black tobacco with his knife, stuffing it into his mouth, knife blade and all. Chris gave a shiver as the blade went in and it came out, and Bowie champed contentedly on his chew. This here's Albert Jones, Sally went on, and that one's Abner Claude. On that one, no, I didn't add. That one's Zachariah Height. Chris smiled and nodded, or shook hands, and Amos followed suit, but when they had reached Zachary, a tall young man of eighteen years or so, Zachary bent his handsome surly face and fumbled at his shoe. Chris stood there with his hand out, feeling the red blood surging angrily up his cheeks, and then he wondered who Zachary was looking at from the corner of his eye. Chris turned his head and did not have to hear the name buttered by Siley or by Bowie at his back. Chris found himself staring at Claggett. Shoo! End of chapter 12